Hello and welcome to Housing for Us. My co-host today is Thomas. Hi, I'm I'm Thomas Johnston. I am a uh, podcaster and parent and uh, bon vivant. I uh, have a podcast with Mary Johnston, um, who is my sister, and we talk about the 90s horror anthology Tales from the Crypt uh, from a literary perspective. So if you've ever wondered uh, what symbolism there is to be mined from a psychotic band in a Santa suit um, committing axe murders, or if you think about uh, how a alcoholic murdering his wife can be a uh, allegory for postpartum depression, this is a <laughs> podcast for you. It's called Crypt Creepers, and it's on the Outrageous Mechanisms Network. So obviously I am uh, well qualified to be talking about housing justice here today. <laughs> Absolutely. I've, I've not heard an episode yet, but I've heard you two work together, as, and I'm, uh, I know it's got to be great. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's pretty fun. Um, it's pretty fun. Well, thanks for joining, and uh, today is a fixer-upper episode. In Housing for Us, we alternate between our fixer-upper episodes, where we talk about something that's gone wrong with the American housing system, and the other half are our Cribs episodes, and those are about housing reforms that work really well. So today's episode is about housing instability. Um, we talked to Nick, who had moved nine or ten times prior to turning 18. Um, he was never evicted, but the climate of renting was so unstable that even when there are no evictions, his family ended up moving um, multiple times. Right, and it's it's not a matter of poverty. This is just the normal functioning of our of our renting system. Um, Nick's mom was a full time receptionist, and even with a you know a full time job, uh, renting is tough. Renting is just really unstable. So I know going in, you knew that rental housing in the United States had some problems. Uh, were you surprised by what you heard? Yeah, I, I was. I think um, I'm a relatively privileged person and having. The last time I dealt with shady landlords was when I was a student, and I think uh, this speaks to the uh, poverty tourism that I think a lot of, uh, it doesn't have to be poverty, but poverty tourism that, that, that is sort of the American college experience. You move into a shady apartment with a shady landlord, and, you know, you, 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 that stuff doesn't work, or you get, or, or you know, you, you end up moving a lot. Um, but but that's sort of par for the course and seen as being almost fun or like a rite of passage. Um, but it is, um, I think, sort of shocking to think that that is uh, how housing is supplied to, to a lot of people in the United States um, and, and, and people who have job, full-time jobs and families and uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, so you're exactly right. This is, you know, this is just ordinary people. This is little kids and, and teenagers and parents, uh, just ordinary people. Though even I think saying that sort of buys into a funny narrative we have where uh, I think if you hear something like someone had to move a whole bunch, you're like, oh, did they get evicted? What's, what's wrong with them? How is this their fault? And I think sort of uh, speaks to a certain amount of victim blaming that we engage in when we talk about um, people with, with in unstable housing situations. In the past decade between one in five and one in four of all renter households move every single year. Um, that's from the Census Bureau. But the Census Bureau says these numbers are historically low. A more normal rate is between one in four and one in three renters moving every year. Um, 
one in one out of every three rental households moves every single year. That I mean, that is that is outrageous. Yeah, that, that's unbelievable. That that's that's so that's so many people. Yeah, it's so many people just move in the constant churn of of rental housing. It's just it's outrageous. Um, and so I only found a single study looking at why renters move. And uh, you know this this part kind of got lost in our conversation, but. Um, you know, for the vast majority of moves, people are moving because their rent increased, their landlord didn't renew the lease, the landlord wouldn't respond to maintenance issues. There's a lot of reasons why people move, um, but by and large, renters are not moving because they want to move. They're moving because they have to move. I know, man. It seems like we what we want to we want to rationalize this and like create create these fictions where it's like no no it's great see if you rent and and a third of you move it's great because you don't have any responsibility who doesn't want to pick up stakes and just move across town every year that's amazing people love that they love that it's new um and it, it just it's so it's so insulting insulting to think that anyone would believe that right right <laughs> right i mean short of uh you know a marriage or the birth of a child or you know something like that some major life event a new a new job in a different city um, those are really the only reasons people want to move, right? And, and again, right? Pe- pe- people can be <laughs> like, people can move if they want. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not here to tell you that people have to stay, right? And Nick later said that his family would not have moved once um, if they had a, a decent home at a price they mm-hmm. could afford. They would never have moved. Housing instability means that there's very little opportunity for building community. Um, I My parents were homeowners, and I remember as a kid, every day over the summer, we played kick the can. Um, ev- every night over the summer. It was so much fun. And, you know, the only reason that we could do that was because everyone in the neighborhood was homeowners, and we had uh, years and years to get to know each other. Um, you know, I'm a homeowner now as an adult. We've had neighbors help out with childcare, help out with home repairs. Um, we have these dinner crawls uh, where um, everyone takes turns making a one course of a meal, and then you know everybody meets up at one house for an appetizer, and then you know goes to another house for a main course, and you just kind of you know make your way around the block. You know those are those are the kinds of things that only happen you know, when you're in the same place for, for a long time. And, you know, to think of kids growing up without being able to make those connections to play kick the can, you know, that's outrageous. And to think of, you know, adults not being able to get to know their their neighbors and to be able to socialize and to, um, you know, help out and, and to get help in return, you know, that's, uh, that's an outrage. It really is. Yeah, certainly on, its, on our most basic level, there is, you know, having shelter, having safe, clean, you know, shelter. But then there is a sense that there is community. Uh, we are social animals. And uh, being able to have people around you that you know that you can meet, trust, rely on, you know, that, that's, how you, that's how you build strong, safe neighborhoods and communities. And not to, not to get all mushy here, but feed your soul as a, as, as a human being. Uh, I do think... Uh, Nick was fairly lucky in that I think with his, with his moves did not involve mass upheaval uh, for him school wise for, for the most part, and uh, that, that in that in that sense he was lucky because I can I, you can imagine you know if 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 you know right a third of, if a third of renters move that means you know 
uh, doing the back of the envelope math that you're going to move every three years. That means you're not finishing middle school. You're not finishing high school if you're if you're moving school districts. That's that, that, that that's that's a rough situation. Right. Or if you're in a district that says you have to go to the school that's closest to you. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yes. That. Uh, but 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 even then, you know, it doesn't even I think that uh, a powerful part of this is that um, Nick's story is is uh, is on some level very ordinary. This is this is the reality for 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 many people in our country, and 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 it's it's wrong. It's bad. Yeah. Then one last thing is that as a renter, you know, a lot of times that means no pets because so many uh, so many apartments don't allow pets. And for you know somebody like my wife that just can't imagine her childhood without her dog, without the family dog, it's just so you know it's just uh, it's just another outrage. But but enough of us yammering. I think this is this is a really good interview. Um, and uh, I, th- I think a lot of it really speaks for itself. So my name is Nick Amroth. Um, I am a software electrical engineer. Um, live in Milwaukee, working on farm equipment. Um, grew up in Milwaukee and moved around a little bit after college and moved back here, uh, I think 2014. And I am uh, interested in housing uh, policy and issues. Um, I'm, uh, I'm on the board of the Milwaukee Community Land Trust, um, as well as the, this organization, Housing for All Org. Cool. Yeah, we're really glad to have you. You actually grew up um, mostly in Wauwatosa. Um, and so if you're mm. not from here, that's a suburb of Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, it's a nice suburb. Um Actually, I lived in the city of Milwaukee, like on the north side, um, like 92nd and Appleton until I was eight years old. And then, yeah, I moved to to Wauwatosa and lived there until I was left for college at 18 and, you know, kind of lived there in the summers during college. Um, Sure, sure. But yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's one of the, you know, solid, like middle, upper middle class suburbs in milwaukee yeah it is it is a well-off suburb um there's there's no doubt about it there's some very hoity-toity areas of it uh um, but overall it's it's a well-off suburb um Mm. and you know i i think that's really important because there's a common misconception that all suburb residents are homeowners um or that the problems of rental housing are limited to urban areas and i myself was surprised um to kind of hear your story yeah, yeah, it's, uh, you know, you can, suburbs aren't, they're, you know, relatively homogenous, I guess, maybe for, for income level or, or other demographics, um, but not entirely. So, yeah, there's there's more, you know, there are rental properties and even, you know, the nicer suburbs like Wauwatosa or something like that. Right. Right. So let's let's get into that. Um, you said something really striking when we were first talking about this. Um, so you're a homeowner now, and you said that it feels strange to come home to the same house every day. It does. I've lived in my home now. This is the first time I've lived in like a single family home. And I've lived here, I think, for five or almost six years now. Um, and that's that's by far the longest I've ever lived anywhere. Well, not entirely true. I lived in an apartment in Chicago for five years, um, but for the most part, yeah, it's 
it's it's kind of it feels a little unusual like i always yeah i come back to the exact same place and like i know this area a lot better um started to like actually meet neighbors you know instead of moving every couple of years and you don't really get to know anybody yeah um yeah it's got to be really different for your daughter kind of growing up so differently yeah yeah i imagine it will be um she's only 16 months now so (laughs) she's (laughs) uh, yeah uh, for me you know 10 years old maybe okay well 16 months maybe it's time to move to the next apartment um but yeah i'm hoping to kind of have that sort of stability for her um that was you know thinking about having a child was like well i absolutely have to like own a home before i do that so it's kind of all you know tied together in a way yeah definitely um so how many times did you move as a child do you think yeah, I was trying to think of this, and I came up with nine apartments, but I feel like I'm missing one, which is kind of a, a weird thing to think of, to not really remember all the places you lived. So nine or ten moves as a as a child, that's, uh, that's a lot. Um, that's like, uh, you know, more than once every two years, if you average it out, you know, from, uh, from age zero to age 18. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, some of them, you know, like, one of them, we moved to another apartment, like, in the same apartment complex, so they weren't all sort of, you know, maybe the the catastrophic sort of moves to, you know, a child's sort of whole world that they could be, Um, but, you know, even moving, you know, across town can be, can be a difficult move. Um, Yeah, definitely. What were uh, what were some of the reasons that your family had to move? Um, well, for the most part, I guess I'd say probably like rent and like financial issues. So, um, right. So I lived in Milwaukee until I was eight, and then moved to Wauwatosa to like move in with my mom's boyfriend. Um, so then, and that's kind of like what brought us to that nicer suburb, I guess. Um, and then that didn't work out and then moved out on our own for a while. And then that was kind of a, a difficult, you know, period, certainly financially. Um, so then we do stuff like move back in with my grandma. Um, and then, you know, can be difficult living with a parent, I guess. Um, so we move back out on our own and then kind of run into you know maybe some financial difficulties or maybe find like a nicer apartment that's around the same cost and move there um so that's kind of the the general probably motivation for most of the times that we've we've moved i think um it's you know a little difficult to remember it was a long time ago and you know you're a kid so you don't really like understand everything that's going on Right, and it's kind of natural to want to shield your kids from financial or other kinds of issues. Mm-hmm. We weren't evicted, so like we weren't like forced to move ever. Um, but 
it's kind of I don't know to me it's kind of the the nature of of renting like how many people do you know that have rented the same apartment for 30 40 years right right um that's the that's the thing that we really want to really want to emphasize here is that you never were evicted and when people think about housing stability evictions are what comes to mind and they're a huge problem um but really it's only a part of the problem um we just have a, a housing system especially with rental housing that is characterized by a real lack of security and evictions are only a part of this problem um right you are moving uh, more than once every two years as a kid and and never evicted mm-hmm. yeah 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 definitely you know, I guess we probably don't have to spell it out for people that moving sucks. Um, but uh, why, why don't you tell us about moving sucking for you? Um, I remember moving every time I've moved, you know, I've gotten three hours of sleep the night before. Um, it's just an extremely stressful thing to do. You know, to have to move with kids is just uh, it would just it would just be terrible. You know, paint us a picture. Yeah, well, I would say the I mean, the biggest difficulty in moving from what I remember is a security deposit because, okay, it doesn't sound so bad because you're going to get the old one back, but an extra month's rent isn't, isn't just, you know, sitting around for a lot of people. So you've got to basically pay rent twice for one month to have that, you know, first month security deposit ready to go. Right. And then, you know, hopefully, hopefully you get the one back from the previous place. Um, and you know, for the most part, like I, as far as I know, we got security deposits back cause we, you know, took good care of apartments because we need the security deposit back. Like that's right. a critical thing. <laughs> like, Oh yeah. I, I remember one time, I think I was nine and we got a dog and we lived in an apartment. Um, but then the dog started chewing on the woodwork cause it was a puppy oh, no. and we had to get rid of the dog. Oh. So we had to like take the dog back to the Humane Society um, because, you know, that security deposit in a year or two when we need it is going to be like very yeah. important. So, yeah. And, you know, on top of all that, all of the stuff is, yeah, it's certainly a burden to move all of that. So I lived in Wauwatosa for, you know, 10 years and moved around a lot in there. And, you know, before you can drive when you're a little kid, like your friends are the kids whose houses you can walk to. Um, you know, you move five, 10 miles away, still in like the same town, still going to the same school, but now you're a little bit more isolated from like those kids that, you know, you're friends with. Um, yeah. So that's, you know, that's difficult. Um, and then, I mean, you know, like anybody who's moved, even, you know, buying a house, you don't really know what you're getting until you actually live there. Um, like I can think of one of the places we moved into, you know, seemed like it was going to be nice. But then we moved in and, oh, in my bedroom, somebody had like punched a hole in the wall. And there was a poster over that when we looked at it. Oh, jeez. So there's stuff like that that you just, you know, <laughs> you don't really get, like, the entire picture until you're actually there. And then when you're there, it's too late. 
you know hopefully you can get a landlord to fix stuff but yeah you know not always and just you know moving so much and just never feeling at home right you know like if yeah. you just if you expect that you're only going to be there for a year or two um it's just uh i don't know i i imagine you just wouldn't really ever feel like you were at home yeah 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 i think that's true um the kind of the funny thing is like i think that i got used to moving a lot and you know maybe it's a quasi stockholm syndrome kind of thing but like started to to like it kind of like the newness of you know moving somewhere else but that's also not like a very good way to live um I mean, you don't kind of build that like long-term relationship with a place. Yeah, and just the people around you and and friends and neighbors. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I th- I think we were probably pretty lucky. We never had really any awful neighbors. Well, maybe maybe one wasn't so great. Um, but uh, yeah, that's another thing that you don't know what you're gonna get when you move. Like, you know, and you're very close to people. You can hear what they're watching on TV in a lot of places. Right. So they, you know, don't like the same kind of stuff that you do. It can be pretty terrible. Yeah, yeah. We'll, uh, so we'll point one other thing out. So you only had to change schools just once when you moved from the Milwaukee School District to Wauwatosa School District. Um, if you're not from around here, in Milwaukee and our suburbs, we do a lot of busing. And so you are not required to go to the school that's closest to you geographically. If you were in a different place, every time you moved, you might have had to switch schools. Uh, Fortunately, you didn't have to deal with that. Um, But maybe in a different state, that would have been your experience. Oh, yeah. And I I think, yeah, probably even... um, Sure, you, you could move around Milwaukee and go to a different school, but that's adding what an hour to your commute time as a 10 year old, maybe. Yeah. Um, (laughs) and I like, so as a kid, I was a pretty shy kid. So I moved schools once and that was very, very stressful to me. And that was like, I think I was a pretty well behaved kid too. I think. And I think that was the only time that I threw an absolute fit when like the idea of moving out of Wauwatosa was brought up because I didn't want to go through, you know, moving to a different school again. Yeah. Yeah. And if you had, I mean, if you'd been in a, in a different state, that might've been every time you moved, that might've been a different school. Yeah. So my next question is about uh, sort of challenges you had with housing that weren't related to moving. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, most of the challenges I would say were just like, you know, the basic financial stuff, like it's difficult to, to pay rent a lot of times. Um, there's a lot of, you know, choices of like, which bills do you pay first? Um, I think a lot of people are, are pretty familiar with that kind of stuff. Um, Not necessarily. Yeah. Well, okay. So I was just thinking about this the other day. And so a lot of this was like in the eighties and early nineties. Um, and I don't know, I wonder if people know about the concept of floating checks. Have you ever heard of that? I think I know what that is, but I don't know that I've heard the term. 
Okay. Yeah. So you write a check that you know you don't have the money for and like hope that it doesn't get deposited until you do have the money. Um, so that was like kind of a, a, a relatively common thing for us. Um, which I imagine you can't do that anymore because, well, maybe I guess if you're mailing it, you, you hope that, you know, your paycheck gets deposited before the mail comes. Um, but yeah, so there's there's like a lot of that kind of that very kind of tightrope walking sort of situation for for timing things, um, especially all of the bills because you know the electric company doesn't care if you're late on rent they they want their right. money first. Um, so yeah, I mean there's mostly that. Um, there's other kind of like. You know, I, I kind of alluded to maybe I had one bad neighbor. Um, one of the places I lived in Wauwatosa, uh, it was an apartment building, and then there was another apartment building right next to it. So, like, my window, my bedroom window looked, it was, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 feet away to another apartment building. Um, and there was a lady that lived up there. This was on the second floor. And, you know, I don't know, I'd see her going into her apartment. Uh, but then in the middle of the night once, I woke up because there was this really loud noise, a really loud bang. And it turned out that she thought that her neighbors downstairs had been, like, uh, practicing voodoo and, like, doing something to cause problems to happen to her. So, you know, she was having a hard time and she shot a gun into their window Jeez. In the middle of the night. Um, so, yeah, there's, I don't know, you know, you can be kind of close. You're living in close proximity to people that might be going through, like, a lot of stressful situations. Um, so, strange stuff like that can happen. Um, I mean, nobody was hurt, fortunately, and she only shot once, and, you know, there wasn't really anything after that um i remember the police coming and i just went back to sleep because i was a teenager and i was really tired jeez um so did you i mean did you move away or no we uh we did move across the hall so i wonder if this is the same in other cities i don't really know um the rental properties in other cities for the most part but like I think like six of those nine places I lived all had the exact same layout. So there's uh, a four unit apartment building and every one of them, you know, there are mirror images on the two sides of the hallway that, and the stairs that go up the center. Yeah. Um, so they're like, you come into the living room and there's like a small dining room and then like a little hallway off to the side with the bathroom right there. And then the two bedrooms, um, with like the kitchen in the back. So I have, lived in like a lot of those you know exact same layout um so yeah when that happened i think the unit on the other side of the hall away from that that neighboring building was open so we moved across the hall um i would yeah when i think about that now uh, i would think you know a lot of people might look for somewhere else to live but that uh that place, like, the rent was affordable, and the landlord wasn't very, you know, strict, I guess I'd say, or overbearing. Um, 
so it just didn't just didn't make sense uh, it wasn't a good enough reason to leave just given the other positive things about that that apartment right yeah yeah and the location i mean it was on a busy street it was on it was like on 76 and center so not like a perfect location um pretty you know noisy and hard to sleep if it rains and it's summer and the uh you know the noise of the cars on the wet pavements can be difficult to to ignore um but like good enough you know close to school and work so the location's good enough that it's you know it doesn't always make sense to move sure So you made an interesting comment that your situation is not unusual, um, but really that your experience was the experience of a typical renter household. Uh, so what do you mean by that? Yeah, um, I know, you know, we've, we've talked about stuff like, you know, evictions are this huge problem and everything like that, which is true. But then there's kind of this un... I don't know if it's maybe like an unmeasurable problem in that like renting is just kind of inherently unstable as it is in the U.S. right now at least. So like nothing, you know, most people aren't that rent aren't evicted probably ever in their life. Right. right? Um, but that doesn't mean like that this is a system that is really working well for people. Like, probably most people that rent are in a very similar situation. And I don't think that a lot of people really realize it. Like, I never really realized it when I was a kid, or even now. I mean, you know, 30 years later, like, well, that was just, you know, kind of what happened to us, like how it was. Um, and I knew, you know, growing up in Wauwatosa, all my friends, like their parents, for the most part, owned their own, you know, single family homes and kind of didn't like, I guess I realized that something was different about that, but I didn't really like know what. Sure. Yeah. That would be a hard thing for a kid to, to understand, I think. And then I, I took a look in the, to see if there was any data um, and to see if, if that's accurate, that your experience really is typical. Um, and so here's what I found. Um, so according to the Census Bureau, uh, through the uh, 2010s, about 5% of homeowners move each year um, versus 20 to 26% of renters. So that's a, that's a pretty big difference, right? Four or five times more likely to move as a renter. Um, you know, one out of four to one out of five renters will move every single year versus one out of every 20 homeowners. Um, so it's a pretty dramatic difference. And then, so they said that it's, we are at historically low rates of renters moving. Um, so when you were a kid, um, those numbers would have been about six to 8% for homeowners moving every year um, versus 30 to 35% of all renters moving in a year. That's a year, a, a, you know, a third of all renters were moving in, in a given year. That's just, I mean, that's just outrageous. Yeah, I had no idea that that many people moved in a year. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, people like college students, I guess, they move every year. 
but that's not 30 to 35 percent of no not at all yeah i mean you know and you're only a student for a few years um these are these are families that we're talking about um that are just having to move every every couple years um that's just outrageous yeah yeah it is and yeah i mean think of everything that's kind of broken up like your social connections every time you move like for me for the most part i had a relatively easy time with every move like they were fairly nearby you know eventually i had a car so it didn't matter so much where i lived or even with a bike for the most part i could could go where i wanted to go but i can't imagine that's the case for the vast majority of people moving right right that often and if you you know if and if you um read the book evicted um right they you know he talks about uh crime being linked to people moving because when you have you know a steady presence in a neighborhood um you know if somebody is not supposed to be there um i know in uh you know years ago in the neighborhood i live in a bunch of neighbors you know there were some crimes in the nearby park and they you know try to figure out what time the crimes were occurring and then they would all go walk their dogs during those times um you know so when uh, mm-hmm. when people are constantly moving you're not making those connections and um you know there's a link between uh between moving a lot and and crime yeah i mean that makes sense to me then i also tried to figure out um okay so we know a third to a quarter of renters move every single year. Um, why are people moving? Um, and I was I was shocked by how little I was able to find on on people trying to research why are people moving. Um, especially people looking into are people moving for uh, because their rent was increased and they can't afford their new rent level or are people moving because of maintenance issues? Like, are they living in a pit and that's why they're moving? Um, there just isn't, uh, isn't much information about that. Um, and I was shocked. Um, so, so, you know, funny, we would just mention evicted. Um, the only, the only piece of information I found was a study done by Matthew Desmond. He's the author of evicted. Um, and this was a study that he did coincidentally in Milwaukee. Um, And I'm going to quote from the introduction, uh, which I edited slightly for clarity. Researchers had altogether stopped collecting data on forced moves. Instead of asking households to articulate their reasons for moving, researchers began inferring such reasons from aggregate patterns of neighborhood turnover. Um, So in other words, they're just not studying the issue, right? They're trying to uh, sort of intuit people's reasons for moving based on on aggregate data um you just can't do that right they're not actually asking people why did you move um you know you just can't do that it doesn't work so so in any case this study he did um was of of milwaukee area residents asking them about the years 2009 to 2011 um and so of the people that they surveyed who had moved um, 14%, this was a forced move. Um, so a forced move would be an eviction, um, whether a legal or an illegal eviction, a landlord foreclosure, or a building was condemned, something like that. Uh, 40%, so that was 14% were forced moves. Um, 40% were classified as responsive. And so a responsive move would be something like uh, maintenance issues, 
Uh, so you're, you know, you're living in a pit and you want to move to something better. That would be a responsive move, the quality of the place you're living. Um, the landlord increasing the rent to a level that you can't afford, um, that would be a responsive move. Um, so that was 40%. Um, so that's a majority between forced and responsive moves. And then 46% were considered voluntary. Um, and so reasons for a voluntary move um, included moving to a safer neighborhood, um, you know, which doesn't really seem voluntary to me. I don't know. What, uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I would, I would certainly not like classify that as voluntary. I mean, is safety like a choice? Yeah. Is safety optional? Is that something you can compromise on? Um, you know, like I really want to have an apartment with a garbage disposal. Um, but, uh, feeling safe is going to be a little higher up on the list. <laughs> and then there were some family changes and, and these really do seem voluntary to me. Um, so that would be something like a marriage and now you have to move in with your new spouse or, uh, the birth of a child and you have, you know, you need someplace bigger because you have a family now. Um, so some family changes, those, those seem, uh, legitimately voluntary. Um, so just to tie things together. Um, so you said that you, you had no moves that would have been classified as involuntary, right? Right. Um, I, I want to say that there might've been like one where the rent was going to go up or something like that, but nothing, I mean, certainly nothing for, so that would be a responsive, um, that would be actually a responsive move. So, so I think the answer is no. So you didn't have any that would actually be classified as involuntary. Um, so your family was never right. legally evicted. Um, your family was never illegally evicted. So um, your landlord never broke the law to get you to leave um, by doing something like taking the front door off or something like that. You never had anything like that. Right. You never had like a building condemned or a landlord foreclosure or anything like that. So um, none of your moves would be classified as forced. Um, you mentioned that you'd have one that, that would be classified as responsive where the landlord was raising the rent that was too high that you couldn't afford it. And that's why, um, that's why you would move. Um, some of the other responsive, uh, responsive moves, uh, would be if the housing was low quality, right? You had to, you were living in a pit and you wanted to live someplace better. A lack of response to maintenance requests by the landlord, um, if you moved for that reason, that would be responsive. If your home was actually unsafe and you moved for your, you know, your physical safety, um, that would be, uh, that would not be considered a forced move. That would again be considered responsive. If there were unsanitary conditions, um, that's again, not a forced move that's classified as responsive. Um, so, you know, I don't know what you think about this, but none of these actually sound responsive. These all kind of sound forced to me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, unsafe conditions or unsanitary, like you can't, you can't live in a place like that. You're basically, I mean, is there a big difference between that and removing a front door? Right, right. You know, a landlord that doesn't fix that kind of stuff. That's, that's a good, that is a good point. You know, just to like really put this in perspective, um, the local newspaper here, the journal Sentinel, um, they did an investigative series a few years ago on rental housing, and they found um, in a single house, right, this is just one house, there was a foul smelling mold growing on sagging basement ceilings. There was a faulty furnace and water heater uh, that left the family without heat and hot water for several days in January uh, in Wisconsin. 
two years prior, city inspectors had ordered that the house could not be occupied following a house fire that was caused by faulty wiring. The landlord had been renting it without repairing the fire damage and without repairing the faulty wiring that caused the fire in the first place. Um, so if you were living here and you moved out of this house because you were afraid that your house was going to kill you, um, that wouldn't be considered a forced move. That would be considered a responsive move. So then the last category was voluntary. Um, and so voluntary moves would be uh, moving in with relatives for financial reasons and then, you know, moving out for sanity reasons. Um, but a lot of, a lot of, um, voluntary moves sound forced, right? If you're moving in with relatives for financial reasons, um, if you're trying to move to a safer neighborhood, um, that would be classified as voluntary and that just doesn't seem voluntary. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, I've certainly had voluntary moves and, you know, my life, um, you know, moving to like a nicer apartment from, a decent apartment is, you know, I'd say pretty voluntary. Um, I mean, moving, um, when I first moved back to Milwaukee, we lived in an apartment in, um, Washington Heights. It was pretty nice. And then we bought a house and moved there. That's, I think what most people would think of as a voluntary move. Right. But even then as a kid, you know, moving to, uh, you know, someplace a little bit nicer. I just kind of think that your family deserved to have a nice place to live to begin with, and you shouldn't have had to work your way up to it. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. So, okay, so you moved nine or ten times as a child. How many times would you have moved as a child um, if your family had a modest but, you know, decent quality home and a relatively safe environment uh, for a, you know, for a price you could afford. Uh, I'd probably say no times zero. Nobody, you know, nobody likes moving really. Um, there can be, you know, those, you know, like a, a marriage or something like that. That can be a fun, exciting time to move, but it's still very unpleasant. <laughs> Even when you're doing that, um, so, you know, well, I guess maybe, you know, once to like, I don't know. No, yeah, probably no times zero. I will, I'll, I'll stick with that. Yeah, it's not right. I mean, you're, you know, your typical person does not want to move. If you have to move out of state for a job or something, you know, that's different. Or if there's a life event, like a birth or a marriage, like that's a, you know, or you buy a house, like that's a, you know, that's a some, you know, reason somebody would be happy to move. But, you know, people just hate moving. And, and the fact that, you know, a third of renters are moving every single year, you know, clearly that doesn't reflect the housing system that we actually want. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. I mean, there's no stability to, to people's lives. Uh, that's just outrageous. And then, you know, when we look at those moves, um, you know, we find that 14% are classified as forced, 40% are classified as responsive, um, 46% are classified as voluntary. But in reality, uh, almost all moves are just, are, are kind of forced in, in one way or another. Um, just given that people, you know, given the choice would just as soon not move, uh, people just don't like moving. 
Yeah, and people don't like giving up, you know, those social connections that they make. Like, you get to know your neighbors if you live somewhere for a while, and then you move away from them, and that's that's a that's a large like kind of life change and very stressful right. to people. It's just yeah, it's just an outrage that uh, that that's the way things work. Um, you had a story about uh, uh, taking a rent check to a mansion. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty. That was a, a pretty illuminating for me as like a, a nine or a ten year old. Um, so that was like another time we were late on the rent. This might have been like I wonder if I don't really remember it that well or like the details exactly, but I'm wondering if it was like the second time in a row we were late. So we actually had to like drive the check to the landlord's house, and you know we're coming from this like. I don't know, 600 square foot apartment and then drive to like, um, in Wauwatosa, they've got a lot of Milwaukee, they have the, like the parkway. So there's these rivers that go through the city and they've got these nice roads that go along them. Um, and especially in Wauwatosa, there's like really nice houses on the parkway. So we take, we go on the, go to the landlord's house and it's on the parkway and it's like this giant house. It might have looked like bigger to me as a kid, but I mean, it's probably like a 4,000 square foot house. So like a very nice house. And I'm walking this rent check up to put in the mailbox. And like, it's just like, I don't understand how this works. Cause this was like a very stressful week at my house to like bring this check to this person who like clearly does not need it. Like if, this if this just blew away into the river um like he wouldn't even notice right and that's you know that really just sums it up if there were some good reason why our housing system had to force so many people to move so frequently if there were a good reason for it then you know maybe but there isn't a good reason for this um this is uh right? This is supporting, um, people's mansions. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, yeah, it's just, I don't know, kind of mind boggling. And I can understand like people make investments and finances and I don't get it, but there's all that stuff and they, they can do that. That's fine. But it's profiting off of like a basic human need for, just like more profits, I guess they just need more money. Um, I don't know, right? Because it's not as though you can just just say, you know, this, uh, you know, this this TV is too expensive. We're gonna wait till after Christmas to see if the prices come down. Like you can't do that for housing, you know. And so you just um, owning housing, you just have that really strong position, um, and you can you really can take advantage of people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it, in, in some ways you can describe it as like, you can only take advantage of people because, you know, unless you're going to not make any extra money off of your rental property, like you're getting money because you have money already at the expense of somebody's basic needs. Right. Right, and if you're hiring a property manager to do the actual work of managing or repairing the 
the property and you're <laughs> all you're doing is collecting the money. Well, so to wrap this up, let's think about how we would go about fixing this. Um, because, you know, and again, the data are limited. Um, but all the data says that your experience really is the experience of a typical renter. Um, and that is an absolute outrage um, that so many people move so frequently. Um, that's just an outrage. Um, what do you think? Do you see this as a systemic problem? Yeah, I think so. And so if we can kind of think about like better ways, like I took a work trip to um, Germany a couple of years ago and I was in Munich and like in the city, everybody's like living in these apartments for decades. So like what's going on there? Why did they figure it out? And, you know, of course, like, I mean, you know all about this, like they've got, just a better system like it can't it's a problem that can be solved and there are ways to solve it yeah so let's uh let's go let's talk about that um so in uh in the german-speaking countries as well as in sweden and the netherlands um they have what's called indefinite length of tenure and so if you sign a lease as a tenant you that lease lasts forever that lease lasts until you want to move out so if that's what we had here, maybe, you know, maybe you would have had to move a couple times until your mom found a place that was, you know, good enough. But once you're in, um, you know, you're set, your lease lasts forever. Um, your landlord can't uh, decide not to renew it or something. The landlord can't raise the rent, right? The rent is set at um, the same level as the day you signed it. Um, and in some countries, you can actually uh, pass your lease down to your children um so your children can use can uh have the same lease kind of like you're you know inheriting a a, a home from them mm -hmm. yeah that sounds like housing as not a kind of financial vehicle right yeah exactly and that's how that's how people can rent a home for 30 or 40 years um and why it makes sense to do so um, in those countries, because uh, you have really strong length of tenure rights. Um, so it's, you know, it's just as secure, if not more secure, to be a renter um, as it is to be a homeowner. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we could talk about rent controls where, you know, rents are set to an affordable level. You know, these are used with success around the world. We don't really use them here in this country, but, um, you know, they, they work in dozens of other countries. Uh, maybe there could be some kind of public option, right? You can get a quality home at a reasonable price. Um, and, and that's available to anyone who decides that the private system just isn't working for them like it wasn't working for your family. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's a, I don't know. It's, it's fun. Well, I don't know. Maybe not fun is the right word, but um, it's interesting to think about. It doesn't have to be this way. Right. Not at all. Not at all. Um. A couple more ideas just to just to close. Um, so you're a smart guy. Anybody would know that just from meeting you. Um, so you're a computer engineer. And in fact, when you left high school, you went to the University of Wisconsin. That's a public ivy. Um, what would you say if somebody said, you know, this was all worthwhile because everything turned out okay? Um, well, 
you know, everything turned out okay because I'm a white man that likes computers for the most part. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's a, there's a, like a fairly famous programmer who describes that as living life on uh, easy difficulty, like a video game, <laughs> right? So like, you know, to some degree, like, of course it worked out. Um, but also like, what is the point of like the pain? You know, of like the insecurity and the constant like financial struggle. Like, does that have to exist? Do we really have to put people through that? Right. The richest, most powerful country in the history of the planet. Um, right. There's no reason that anybody should have to go through this. Um, this is just something we have to fix and we have to fix it now. Um, there's just no reason for people to suffer like this. Yeah, and if it was so important, like, well, we should probably make everybody do it then, right? Like, otherwise, these people that, you know, aren't housing insecure for their childhood are really missing out on something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so just my last, uh, my last real thought is that, you know, we, we talk a lot about how our housing system is just totally broken um, and that just reforming our housing system is just not going to work. And so an example um, we already mentioned was people are calling for all tenants in eviction court to get a free public uh, legal representation. Um, but, you know, you move nine or ten times as a child, your family was never once evicted. Illegal evictions that never go through the court system, those are twice as common as, uh, as legal evictions, um, as far as we know. And so this just speaks to the need for a very fundamental rethinking of, of housing in this country. You know, there's a lot of reforms that would be very beneficial um, that have been proposed, but, um, you know, I, it's just hard to see how these reforms really, they just don't go far enough. Um, we just have to make fundamental changes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, reform, sure, that's that's good. It'd be good to have a better, like, system in kind of the structure of the the current system like improving that like there's there's nothing inherently terrible about that but that's also working under the assumption that the system is the correct one it just needs to be improved and i don't see you know if you look into any of this stuff i don't see how you can really truly think that's the case this is yeah this is this is close to the best we could do we could you know, we could make some improvements around the edges, but this is, you know, nobody thinks that this is really, you know, close to the best that we can do. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, the system is designed to make money and I guess it's doing that. So it's working as intended. Yeah. But do we really need a system for that? And do we need it to be, you know, run off of basic human needs? Right. 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 Maybe this, uh, maybe this should be the, you know, one of those exceptions of, um, maybe the profit motive doesn't, doesn't belong here. Right. I guess the last thing we can close on is just, what does a home mean to you? Like what makes a home? 
So, yeah, it's really just the stability. Like, you know, in the beginning I mentioned how it's kind of strange to, like, go back to the same place every day after work. Um, But it's really comforting, too. And to kind of, like, know the place where you live to kind of a more more deeper level, I guess. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with with Derek Jensen. Um, he's got some strange ideas, but I like his, you know, he makes these like YouTube videos and he goes and sits in like the same spot in the like forest near his house every day and like notices the changes like as seasons, you know, come and go. Um, and like kind of that sort of knowing a certain place and like having roots there um, is really what's important about it to me. So it's, yeah, I don't know. You know, there's, there's moving every year, every other year and there's never moving again. And so far it's a little bit strange, but I'd probably leaning towards never moving again at this point. Yeah. Well, sorry you had to go through all that as a kid, but um, thanks for sharing your experiences. Um, I know I learned a lot from uh, from working on this with you, and I, I'm sure all our listeners will learn a lot as well. Great. Thanks for having me. I think the, uh, sort of among the closing statements where he talks about that, you know, a home is stability and... Uh, Talked about the uh, the YouTuber who goes out and notices that he just sort of goes out and notices the change in the world and the seasons and then the, and that by being quiet and in a place we can kind of see the world as it is. I, th- I thought that was that was pretty powerful um, and I think really speaks to what home and community is about. That part about sitting in the same place in the woods every day, um, that inspired the cover art for this episode. Um, but yeah, just a really inspiring, really thoughtful way that that uh, Nick wrapped up that interview. Mm-hmm. My big takeaway from this is that the landlord-tenant relationship uh, in in our country is one of tremendous power imbalance uh, in that the landlord has all the power and the tenant uh, basically has none. In fact, there are other countries have different setups for housing and different relationships between the uh, the tenant and the landlord. So it's not it's not like we couldn't just look over at somebody else's paper here. The uh, that the, there are alternatives, there are other ways of thinking about this. I, I dare say better ways of thinking about this. I think you've done some good work on um, certainly on the housing for all uh, podcast. From to uh, sneak a little plug for outrageous mechanisms in there again. Um, to, to kind of uh, instruct and uh, outline some of that. And uh, for that, I, I thank you. And I think it's, it's worthy of uh, investigation, anybody who, for whom this has uh, tweaked their, their uh, moral fury or uh, sense, of, uh, uh, sense of being interested in maybe what, what sort of positive, what, what a positive change would even begin to look like. Yeah, well, thank you. And um, so, yeah, so those, uh, you know, we took a deep dive looking uh, in that podcast, looking at Norway, uh, the Netherlands, Austria, Sweden, and Singapore. 
Um, and, uh, you know, five really different ways of, of approaching this problem um, that all work really well. Coincidentally, Nick mentioned uh, rental housing in Germany, and that happens to be our very next episode for this podcast. We're going to talk to somebody who lives with one of those forever leases and, and has for decades. Um, and then our previous episode was about the Mitchell Lama program. And, you know, my gosh, Nick's mom would have been a perfect candidate for, you know, some program like that. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, you don't have to look far to find uh, to find a better way of doing this. Um, it's just uh, it's just an outrage and it doesn't have to be this way. Dare to dream. Dare to dream. I'm looking forward to uh, these upcoming episodes and seeing where all of this goes. Well, thanks again so much for co-hosting. Oh, thank you. No, it's my pleasure. I, I, uh, it's always fun. And of course, thanks to Nick Gamroth for sharing his story. I'm Chris Kirko, and our team for today also included David Riley. Check us out on the web at Housing For Us. That's housing4.us. We have so many more resources, all about the urgent and achievable goal of housing for all.